electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The growth rebound, why it is leading again, whether the bounce is for real, We'll debate that with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour this Friday are Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Jason Snipe is principal of Odyssey Capital Advisor. Steve Weiss, John Najarian. Good to see everybody. Let's check the markets as we always do. The Dow coming off its first close above 34,000 for the first time ever. S&P on its best winning streak since August. NASDAQ 100 setting new records as well. The 10-year note yield 158. That's certainly been helping the tech trade of late. Shannon, I turn to you first, okay? NASDAQ 100 is pacing for its fourth straight positive week. That's the first time since October. The growth IWF, that's the growth ETF. 10 of 11 sessions, it's been up. Is the growth trade back? I think it's back, although I wasn't saying that it was gone. (laughs) So I I think what we're seeing here is, first and foremost, obviously the 10-year calming down, moving back into a pattern, um, setting some parameters around what we can expect. We're clearly seeing out of the Fed that they don't intend to make any real moves, despite the fact that we're seeing some increases in inflation, and certainly they're viewing that as transitory, and so should we. Uh, But if you look at what has happened over the last few days, it's that everybody's come back around to the story that stronger economic growth is going to lend itself to Uh, greater enterprise spend for businesses. Um, What we've seen is that this has just accelerated the need for businesses to become uh, more technologically advanced. And so if you look at what's driving this rebound in growth, it is anticipated higher enterprise spending. I don't think that's going away. So although we certainly are moving back into more of a, you know, perhaps hybrid working model, there's going to be many people going back to work over the course of the next several months, companies have realized that they can be much more efficient um, through the use of technology over the last year because they were forced to realize those efficiencies. That's going to continue over the next couple of years. Barbelling your portfolio with some traditional cyclicals as it relates to the infrastructure trade or the overall global manufacturing rebound we have with this, you know, big tech, quality tech trade, I think is a great way to position yourself over the next couple of quarters. Yeah, you know, look, Steve Weiss, I can't, I mean, the number of notes that have come out over the last few weeks, if not few months, saying it's all about value. We're all in on the value trade. We like the cyclical trade. We like the recovery trade. We like the reopen trade. Now you have this growth rebound. The Russell 1000 growth is up 7.5% this month. Value's up 3.5%. You know, the 10 years obviously helping all of this sort of shape the narrative that we're putting forth today. 
But do you think this bounce back in growth, and I think it's fair to call it a bounce back because value had been leading, is it for real? Yeah, and, and it is a bounce back. And like Shannon, I didn't think the fundamentals ever changed. I thought they were always strong. So I, I do think it's real. And what we're seeing is we're seeing more dispersion across stocks, across sectors. Um, so I think it can stay and I think it can coexist with value, with cyclical. But then again, to your point that you made in the question, it also depends upon rates. So if you see a huge spike in rates again, you'll have the quants come out and they'll say, long dated on my relative value screens, I've got to sell tech, I've got to sell growth, and I've got to buy value. Now, as I said, there's great dispersion. So you're not seeing the major uptick in the names that really were like the super high flyers, such as the Zooms or the Teladocs. Yeah, maybe there's a tick up and up in there, but the market's being more discriminating. It's also seeing a rotation underneath the indices. So the VIX belies what's actually happening. Take small cap growth, where a small cap typically leads up and down. We're seeing that's a lagging indicator to what happened to big cap growth. So, for example, some of the names I own, like a Vuzix or a Jumia, they're down. But nothing's changing the fundamentals. You're in a quiet period. So the question is, how long can that last? So I do think you have to reposition to a certain extent. You have to go where the economy is going, which is going to continue to use the chip stocks, but also typical, cyclical, economically sensitive. So, yes, it can coexist with growth, but you've got to be more selective. How about the fact, John, that, you know, a lot of the high growth stocks that had come back down to earth, so to speak, um, have had a nice rebound month to date. Names like CrowdStrike, which Josh is in and we talked about yesterday with him, up 18 percent month to date. Roku's up 17 and a half percent. DocuSign's a double digit mover, as is Zscaler and ServiceNow and Spotify and Tesla. Even Shopify and Cloudflare have had good um, months to date. Fastly's up five. You know, Peloton has really been at the center of the reopen debate. That stock's had a decent rebound, up four percent this month. Zoom's a little bit less so, but still it's a winner. This month, what do you make of of the fact that these stocks have now tried to claw their way back? Well, and uh, successfully clawed their way back, I'd say, Scott. Um, I mean, uh, CrowdStrike, again, great call by Josh. Uh, I was using it as an unusual option activity when the stock was 185 two weeks ago. Um, and as you say, now surging through whatever, 215 or wherever it is today. Um, then you look at Apple, which had only, you know, year to date, Apple's only up about 2%, Scott. I mean, it's virtually flat year to date. But Microsoft um, has really outperformed. And a lot of that is coming because uh, I think Apple has this event coming. Um, a, a lot of the run that happened last year with all of us buying all those Apple products and services, um, people were worried when the 10-year spiked to 175 and Apple did sell all the way down into the teens. If you didn't buy it, uh, you missed it, but it's not over. I think in the 130 to 150 range, you're going to pretty soon see people moving targets up again for Apple. And as far as Microsoft, Scott, Xbox and surface sales in that first quarter are, you know, the ones that we reported mm -hmm. in January. Phenomenal. I think they're about to do the same thing again, Scott. Um, and that stock's up 10.5% in the last month. 
Apple's up, I show it up 8% in the last month, uh, even though Apple, like I say, year to date has really been a laggard. I think it's about to play some catch up, but it'll be hard to catch Microsoft, which just hit that new all time, all time high. You give us the perfect segue, Doc. So thank you for that. Microsoft, by the way, gets the top pick today at Oppenheimer, rated outperform the target to 275. That's six and a half percent from where we are. So the stock's come a long way and it's had a nice run. And they say it's not over. And Jason Snipe agrees with that. And I saved you for last of the four because I was hoping we would get to this point. Doc helped us get there in the most perfect way, Jason, talking about Microsoft, because you just bought more of it. Nice. I did, Scott. And I, I, I just, you know, to respond to a little bit of the commentary earlier at the top of the show, you know, the macro factors have just been fantastic. You know, we see our five handle on the unemployment claims. We have three million plus people a day being vaccinated. Uh, you know, 9.8% retail number. You know, the, the economy is moving in a major way. So, we're all in. Microsoft has been a name that we've enjoyed and loved for a long time. It's been a legacy name for us. Really like the deal with Nuance. Uh, really like the the Army deal, you know, the headset headset deal with uh, increasing their you know the headsets for the Army. But it's just a great legacy name. I think they'll benefit from a hybrid economy going forward. You know, I just think they're very. Yeah, you, you see that stock's getting a, a little bit of a lift as we're, we're talking about it. And your audio sounds like it's breaking in and out to me. And I'm not sure if that's just me or if our viewers are hearing the same thing. So hopefully we can work on that for a minute um, as well. You know, we're having part of this conversation about the, the direction of interest rates and what what a day it is, really, when you have the, the conversation that Steve Leisman had today with Fed Governor Waller. I want you to listen to what he said about the economy. And we'll point out what rates are doing in response and then broaden out the conversation. Here's that conversation today, which was so interesting. I think the economy is ready to rip. Uh, we're looking at growth forecast of near, nearly 8% for Q2. My forecast is about 6.5% for the year. Uh, I see unemployment falling to the low fives by the end of the year and inflation running eh, about 2.5% for the year so. I think the economy is really ready to go. Shan, I mean, this was about as plain spoken as you ever hear someone related to the Fed speak. The economy is going to rip. I could see many other days where a Fed official, especially of a governor rank, said something of that sort. And you would see a maybe a meaningful move higher in interest rates. And you're not getting that today. You're at what, 158, 1582, something like that. So if rates really do remain contained, there's no reason to believe that this tech trade or the growth rebound won't last, is there? No, but there's also no reason to think that, you know, we can't have that Goldilocks scenario that everybody's been talking about and a lift across sectors. We've seen the breath improve in the market. And it's because in, a, in, an, in an environment where if, you know, we get you know, 5% unemployment, 6.5% um, growth, 2.5% inflation. Hmm, if I look at that historically, that's actually not excessive. 
Um, we've just been experiencing this low growth environment for so long that we don't know that two and a half percent inflation does not is not going to constrain the economy. Five percent unemployment is still not where we were pre-pandemic. And so I think the important piece of this is what does it mean for the overall economy? The Fed has indicated that unless this is sustainable above their targets and five percent and two and a half percent are not that far above Fed targets for the long term um, either way. And so I think that this is a great comment on the market has started to believe the Fed. They've started to believe Powell in his comments. And this is allows for a broader trade. And you don't need to choose from one over the other on a day to day basis. So we're going to stop this oscillation and create an opportunity for sustainable gains, albeit perhaps not some of the big gains that we experienced last year. Is that that's the key, right? Uh, Weiss, the, the market, to Shannon's point, has come around. It took a little while to get here. The market has come around to believe the Fed, right? At the, when rates started to move higher, you could have made the argument, I think we did, and, and many others did too, um, certainly, that the market didn't believe that the Fed was going to be able to let inflation sort of run and not have to make a move, that it was going to have to step in perhaps sooner than you know, people had originally expected. Waller today basically said, chill, you know, chill out with that. We're not moving mm-hmm. um, anytime soon. The economy is going to rip. Inflation's going to be a little bit, you know, of a talker. Uh, but we think it's temporary. And that is playing right into that conversation, Steve. Isn't it about the Goldilocks scenario? And I go back to a week or so away from the conversation we had with Professor, um, the professor down in, in, uh, at the Wharton School, Jeremy Siegel. Name was getting away from me, right? Who who basically said it's it's a Goldilocks environment until the Fed does anything, and the Fed's not doing anything anytime soon. Right. So what's happened since you know over the last couple of weeks? So we saw PPI, which was really explosive, and the Fed didn't flinch. Powell came out afterwards, I think it was in testimony, and said we're not raising rates. We saw the numbers that came out yesterday, phenomenal numbers showing great economic strength. And we had that interview today with Steve and Governor Waller saying we're not raising rates. So they're not blinking when they're seeing this economic activity. And they're not going to be surprised when they see an 8% GDP number. So that's what's changed. That's what's made the market believers. But here's the caution. The caution is if we see a number of these PPI numbers and CPI numbers, and it didn't really translate to CPI this week, It didn't really translate into incredibly strong retail sales, even though they came in better than expected. But if we see a series of those numbers, then I think the Fed is going to have to go. But whether or not they go, you'll see the 10-year move up. Now, it's also helpful that the other developed countries have rates that are still below zero. So if you're a sovereign, if you're Japan, and they've been buyers since their fiscal year started on April one. You're going to come to the U.S. You're going to help push rates down. You also had a lot of short covering into the auctions that we had. And you had great demand for the 10-year, for the 30-year. So a lot of it's playing perfectly right now. I think it continues. And any opportunity that it sells off will be a buying opportunity. You're speaking of buying opportunities. I mean, your recent buys, the ones I'm going to bring up right now for our viewers, are more cyclically tilted, right? You bought more XBO. And a new buy for you is Vale. Can you tell us about that? 
Sure. So, so Vale, they, um, it's iron ore. They've also got exposure to copper and to nickel, but it's primarily iron ore. The financial story here is unbelievable. So they pay out 30% of EBITDA in a dividend. So that dividend could be 10 12% this year. Plus, they announced a major stock buyback of about 5% of the company. That alone gives you return, nothing else, of 17% this year. But you've got spot prices on iron ore at about a buck seventy-two. If you read the Jeffries report or others, the stock price is only assuming iron ore at eighty dollars. So everything lines up. But the fact that that buyback's coming in means they have tremendous confidence. Then you look at the Chinese uh, China's GDP today of eighteen percent. Sure, expected, but they're a major buyer of iron ore. So when you've got this economic boom. I try. I double down on my iron ore because I also own Cleveland Cliffs, and I'm sorry Jim's going to underperform that versus the Vale, but that's why I won't do that. XBO is a different story. XBO is breaking the company in two. This is an extremely well-managed company. Doesn't get the credit for it. They're extremely technologically advanced. If you take the two parts, which are a logistics company, Global Logistics, and you take their brokerage, truck brokerage, LTL, those two parts are worth much more than the whole. And aside from Oppenheim, who raised their price, or Barclays, rather, raised their price to 160 yesterday, the sell side waits for it to happen. It's going to happen in the second half of this year when they're broken apart. And I think the stock can go to 200, just extremely cheap and extremely well-managed, well-focused. So that's why I added to that. I also added to Moderna. Moderna had a vaccine day. I warned about it. I said, go and get in front of it. Stock's about 20% this week. They are the leaders. Period. End of story. They are turning healthcare on its end. They've got great data on HIV, which has been around forever. There's been no vaccine. They're working towards it. They've got great data on cancer. It's not a COVID company, but it is a company that's selling it five times this year's earnings that's going to have $15 billion mm-hmm. in cash and a CEO who owns about 9% of the company. So our interests are aligned. So so I added to those. I also added to Ericsson and Volkswagen. Volkswagen traded down 10%. Look at Damler's numbers. Great, great story. So been yeah. adding, been concentrating. Uh, Moderna positions. may not be a, may, Moderna may be more than a COVID company, but it is certainly going to be linked with COVID uh, from here to eternity. And, yep. and, and for good reason, uh, of course. You know, Jason, there was mm-hmm. an interesting note out today that plays right into our, our, our conversation um, about sort of growth and, and value and, and where you're, you're, you should really be. Ricky Sandler, who's uh, been a guest on this program on uh, multiple occasions, says, quote, we can, this is a letter to investors, we continue to have more of a cyclical and value exposure tilt to our long portfolio, though we have reduced the level of this tilt lately through monetizing some positions that have performed very well. I bring that up because, you know, we always, our viewers always hear all of you or most say, you know, barbell, barbell, barbell. Well, I'm thinking now about the right tilt, if you will, that, that you should have in your portfolio. Ricky Sandler's talking about it. When it comes to cyclical versus growth, should, should you be more tilted now, Jason, towards value or tilted towards growth? So I think it's a great question. You know, when I when I think about that, obviously the barbell approach is what we've talked a lot about over the last several months. And value has 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 run quite a bit since November. You know, and of what I was trying to share earlier on the 10 year, I mean, the 10 year has obviously quieted some. There could be some technicals. There could be some shorting there. I think that Weiss, you know, explained, alluded to earlier. And and that's been kind of where we've seen the growth in, in the 
you know, in the growth trade, obviously in mega cap tech. So for me, going forward, as, a, as I'm thinking two, three years out, you know, I'm leaning more towards technology. That's always been our tilt. But I think in the, in the short run, I think I still think it's a 50-50 split. I think you really want to be levered to both sides. So you're open to the reflationary trade, you know, as a reopen happens and also taking advantage of, you know, the long term growth prospects on, on, in mega tech and other area, other growth oriented sectors. I got Dr. J. Bank of America today says the value trade's not over. They give out sort of a list of 10 signals that you should look for when value is over, none of which have been triggered yet. I don't need to go through all of them. I can just tell you they lay out 10. They say none of them uh, have been hit to this point. UBS out today. They also prefer value. They do raise their year end price target, by the way, to 4,400. That's from 4,200. Given where the S&P currently is, it's just south of 4,200. Maybe not a big surprise there. What is somewhat of a surprise to me, Dr. J, no moves, no new moves from you. You've been a little more concerned than others no, about I've, whether we're going to get a pullback. So maybe you're maybe you're waiting for that. But look, I wonder if you're rethinking that, given the 10 years not running away, um, you know, volatility's not exploding. So what gives? Well, uh, just as you say, 10 years not running away. Um, in fact, I think a lot of people were getting ahead of the bank, Scott, on, you know, what they had to count uh, after a certain date as uh, their capital, uh, which Pre previous for the last year, they had not had to count that. And those were treasuries. So in other words, people were selling ahead of the banks because they thought that they could, you know, kind of ride that wave. They did. But if they overstayed that uh, ride, uh, they're in a world of hurt now because we've gone from that 175 ish level for the 10 year back down to 155 um, earlier today. So that's pretty big move. Um, and I think they caught a lot of folks there. And uh, what I've been doing, Scott, is trimming up some positions here and there. Um, you and I talked about PBLY, uh, PLBY rather. Um, and uh, as of a final trade two days ago, stock made a 20 some odd percent move. Um, I got out of that one. But as far as Microsoft or Apple or any of these that have rallied back, um, in the case of Apple rallied back, in the case of Microsoft just continued. I, I think it's just prudent to lighten up a little bit on some of those. Um, now with the VIX, it broke 16 yesterday, had a 1590 handle or something like that on the lows yesterday, Scott. Tells me I want to be in options and option spreads to simulate the same um, exposure that Jason and uh, Steve and Shannon are getting. I want to be in those uh, equities, but I want to be in them in options because they're so cheap, because I can get the leverage that I want and have that defined risk. So um, I'm still participating right along with it, but I am not finding as many new opportunities, Scott, as I am just kind of uh, rebalancing here as we begin this quarter. Yeah, I want to point out as well what we're looking at right next to John. Um, that's the Nasdaq 100 going positive. So Dow, S&P, new records yet again. It's really been a record-setting week. Uh, once again, almost every day for the Dow and the S&P, the Nasdaq composite had just gone positive. It's hanging uh, in negative territory by a smidge. And as I said, the Nasdaq 100 has gone positive as well. It takes us to the earnings that we need to look ahead to uh, next week, gang. Let's get, uh, let's get down into that. Monday's IBM, you know, we're talking a little old tech too, along with uh, new tech like Netflix on Tuesday. But Shan, you own IBM. 
What kind of expectations do you have? What, what should you tell our viewers about what they should think about going into these numbers? So IBM, I think a lot of people have, have added to IPM, IBM, including, including us, uh, last year because we're anticipating uh, better execution at the management level. And so we're looking at IBM and hoping for some additional clarity on how they're thinking about AI and continuing to expand into that. We're also looking for a tick up in both hardware and software numbers. Um, and if we can get a, a tick up in hardware and software as well as continued growth in Red Hat, and they happen to get a, a, a positive sales growth number, that would be a great surprise from IBM this week, uh, or next week, excuse me. So I think what you really want to look for is execution. They're paying a great dividend. They're paying you to be in the stock. Um, and we think that this is set up for some long-term gains over time as, as management continues to create a different type of footprint for this business. Jason, you own Netflix. And as I said, it's going to be reporting on Tuesday. This could be a real interesting one because it really does play into the growth trade, but it also plays into the reopen trade uh, or the recovery trade and, and wondering about what the business is going to look like as we don't sit in front of our TVs in our house all, all summer long. How do you think about that? No doubt about it. And uh, we've been trimming it since the beginning of this year. You know, love the content, love the business. Obviously, it's become a very competitive business, but I think they're going to have trouble in net addition on subs. I think that's going to be challenging going forward as we look at the reopening, like you mentioned, Scott. So, you know, I, the also the other thing, I know they've they've managed some some price increases, you know, small on their premium services. I'd love to see how they how they're kind of doing overseas. But for me right now, it's a hold for us. OK, hold for for Jason, Doc, you have calls. What do you tell viewers to do in, in Netflix, which has been a darling? Well, Jason nailed it. I mean, it's going to be about uh, the growth of international and the subscribers overseas. We know that uh, what he talked about as far as the price increase is going to be uh, uh, direct to the bottom line, Scott. It didn't cost them any more uh, to basically get more revenue in because they just upped the cost. And the question is, how much uh, churn do they get because of that? Um, in other words, do some people drop because of that relatively minor upcharge? No, I don't think they do. So then the next question falls to, are they going to expand internationally at a similar pace? And I think that answer is going to be yes, Scott, um, in particular because Europe is three to four months behind us. Um, even though they're picking up on vaccinations now, thank God, um, they are behind us. So I don't really see any of the growth that they had projected um, falling away because Europe, for mm -hmm. the most part, is still facing some very challenging times. They'll get through it, but that'll be good for Netflix in the short term. And I think that will be reflected Tuesday with the earnings. So I'm sticking with my calls. Weiss, give me, I, I realize this might be an impossibility for you, but give me 30 seconds on Ericsson, which you bought more <laughs> of and reports next Wednesday. Share, Scott, I don't <laughs> share your belief in cheating our, our viewers of words of wisdom. Let me see what I can do. Look, there are two horses in this race of telecom, telecom equipment, one being Nokia, one being Ericsson. Huawei's out of the picture. If you take a look at every country, they're racing to deploy 5G, not just in typical, you know, consumer telco but also in private networks where the money is. And they're a leader. They restructured the company far ahead of Nokia in that. 
I think it's extremely cheap at 50 times earnings, growing like a weed. I felt I had to add to it, so I did. Okay. You do have a lot of earnings next week outside of tech. We're going to talk about a slew of Dow components, some names to get you ahead of uh, those numbers. So we'll kick around a lot more names for you when we come back. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. I'm Courtney Reagan, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says President Biden is horrified by the mass shooting at an Indianapolis FedEx facility overnight. She says Biden is renewing his call for Congress to act to curb gun violence. And the family of 12-year-old Tamar Rice, who was shot and killed by Cleveland police in 2014, has asked the Justice Department to reopen the case into the child's death. Last December, federal prosecutors said they would not charge two police officers involved due to the lack of evidence. In Hong Kong, five top pro-democracy advocates have been sentenced to up to 18 months in prison for helping to organize an anti-government protest march. The people sentenced include a former lawmaker and media tycoon Jimmy Lay. And new research shows double masking works best when a cloth mask is worn over a surgical mask. The study found that doing it the other way, wearing a cloth mask underneath a surgical mask, was no better than wearing a surgical mask alone. I'm sure glad I've been getting that order right now that I've learned this. Scott, back over to you. All right, Court. Well, we appreciate it. Courtney Reagan, thank you. Big earnings week, as I said, ahead. We do have more than 70 companies set to report. So we're going to get hot and heavy now into earnings season. Johnson & Johnson, Honeywell, DR Horton. A lot of names on the board and a lot of ownership within our group, which is uh, really great to talk about. Shannon, Honeywell, Anthem, Abbott Labs, J&J, P&G. Is there one or two out of the group that you're most anticipating? Yes, let's talk about the healthcare names because there's two trends to be watching. For J&J and Abbott, you want to look at uptick in procedure volumes. We definitely anticipate that this is going to be an area of growth in the back half of the year for any of these companies that have significant footprint um, in devices. So look at that. And then on the Anthem side, we also own UNH. And so what we're looking for there is actually increasing enrollments from the corporate side. So if you think about managed care with all of the you know people that lost their jobs last year, the roles really went down. So seeing that acceleration, that's what we'll be looking for from Anthem because it'll support our theme for both of those companies. Yeah. Jason, uh, you got Honeywell. Talk to me about your expectations there. I mean, there's been obviously a lot of optimism towards the industrials for the reasons yeah. that we talked about from the beginning of the show until now in this cyclical and recovery, reopen and spending trade. You got it. So Honeywell for us, I mean, we owned it at the late part, bought it at the late part of last year. Uh, industrials has obviously moved a ton. We really like what they've done 
with the air air filtration systems in buildings and and also in the cabins of of airplanes. And obviously, as as the reopening starts to happen and people start moving around a lot, um, I think they'll continue to benefit. It's up about eight and a half percent year to date, trading about 35 times earnings. Um, But I I think they'll have a positive they'll have a positive uh, earnings report into the print next week. So we're looking closely. Let me ask you this. You own P&G and, and so does Shannon. But, you know, if consumers already have a, a basement full of staple products, what do you do with that stock and how do you look at it in, in terms of a reopen in, in maybe a different way than you you otherwise would? If you've got multiple bottles of detergent downstairs and you've got all the paper towels and paper products that they make and some of the other things as well what what do you do yeah so that's a good question you know for us i think the way we've looked at the staples environment it really depends on how you view where we are in the recovery and you're right you know we've all got a lot of tubes of toothbrush and toothpaste and all the all the consumer products that that we could need um, so for us, you know, we're slightly below market weight here, you know, but I think we potentially might be adding in the in the course at going forward, you know, because I do think, you know, the staples will start to pick up steam later on in the year. But right now, you know, slightly underweight. Yeah, I, I just wonder, too, you know, depending on what yields do, if you get a little bit of a yield play there, if yields, you know, sort of stay in check and don't start to run away again, too. Weiss, United Airlines. Um, which is very much an interesting uh, sector to talk about, right? Airlines, hotels, travel stocks. How do you look at United now on earnings and, and beyond? Well, they pre-announced essentially, told you what, what they were going to do, and it was a disappointing number. Delta was disappointing. Look, this appears to be played out just right now for the moment. But I can tell you, looking to book some flights and prices are going up. Capacity is down. So it's a little like the auto industry in that regard, that there's no capacity. So more planes will come on. Eventually, there'll be price wars again. But I still don't believe, even though the companies are less well-structured from a balance sheet standpoint than they were, by far, I still think there's more upside in these names. So I'm staying with United. I had sold Jets, the ETF, as uh, we discussed a couple weeks ago. So I'm limited to this in my exposure in those travel. Okay, we got a bullish call. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. We have a bullish call coming up on the home builders, too. Uh, that space is up 30% this year. Doc, I'm coming to you after the break because we're going to talk about one of the stocks that's in our call of the day. It happens to be in your portfolio as well. We'll do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, Dr. J, I said I was coming to you because the housing trade is very much in focus today. We're looking at D.R. Horton, KB Homes, mm-hmm. Toll Brothers. Why? Because they were all initiated overweight at Wells Fargo. We've made them our, our calls of the day. But, Doc, you know, these stocks have had huge runs. I mean, they've been monsters. Yeah. Over the last year, Toll Brothers is up 183%. KB Homes up 143%. Horton up 146 The XHB is up 140 over the last three months. They're up at least 35 percent almost all the way across the board. So, you know, saying, okay, overweight them now may be a little troublesome for some. But what do you think here? (laughs) Well, uh, so they're going to report the 22nd, I think, Scott. And uh, I I own Horton. I like the upside that it's had, which, as you say, it's up 39 percent year to date. So that 140% last year number or year over year number that you just quoted is fantastic. 39% in the first three and a half months of this year is blow away great. Um, That graph is lower left to upper right, perfect movement. Um, They're gonna have about, uh, I think 70% increase if they do indeed report $2.20 or so, Scott, that's what the street's looking for. That'll be 70% improvement. So I guess to answer your question, is that as good as it gets? Uh, It's going to be tough, but these guys continue to outperform. Everybody knows inventory's tight, and it's hard to have, uh, you know, bring product on fast enough. But when you do, people are paying through the offering price in many cases, not in every market, but in a lot of markets. And that's good for all of of the home builders that are in those hot markets. Yeah. And D.R. Horton's one of those that's in those hot markets. That's why I'm in these calls, Scott. And I'm selling, though, at the money calls just above where it's trading right now because 40 percent, that's a phenomenal run. I'll take a little off the table if it goes through that strike. Okay, Jason, that that sets sets us up perfectly yet again, Um, as good as it gets, right? This is the kind of conversation that we need to have right now as it relates to how yes the housing market's red hot doc's exactly right it doesn't look like it's going to cool off uh, anytime soon either unless you have a more meaningful rise in in rates but what about a stock that's already done so much even in a sector that's so hot yeah this this is a tough one uh and i agree with john here i mean the the only other point i would add on the dr horton uh piece is you know Affordable housing is so hard to find. Obviously, we've, we've talked about the shortages and what's kind of going on in the housing market. You know, Dr. Horton, 65% of the homes that they delivered last year were under 300,000. Um, you know, 313,000 is the median home price in America. So, I expect these numbers to continue to grow. I expect them to continue to grow, but I do think that this might be a melting melting up position here. Uh, you know, in some of the home builders and some of the do-it-yourselves, but. I think overall, um, it's, it's still a, a hold for us. And I agree with John. I might do some trimming if, if it hits you know, some, some higher levels here. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not surprised to, to hear either of you really, really talk about it that way, just given the run that they've had. Shan, you want in? Yeah, I think we're, I mean, I would say we're in a residential real estate renaissance here. And so if you feel like these home builders are a little bit expensive, think about the housing proximate stocks, like a Trex, for instance, that we have, Home Depot, even MLM building roads down in Texas. Um, There's a lot of ways to play this real estate boom, and you don't have to do it necessarily in home builders if you feel like there might be a better entry opportunity. All right, we are going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Doc has unusual activity. We'll do that next. Unusual activity. Dr. J, what do you have for us on this Friday? Well, Scott, we're going to kick it off with Urban Outfitters. Uh, these guys, it's anthropology and free people as well under that brand. Uh, these are brands, Scott, that, uh, of course, my daughter's want to go to these stores. And in many cases, they couldn't uh, during the height of the pandemic, but they have been going more and more lately. Uh, And stores in the UK that were shuttered have reopened. That won't be part of this earnings call. Um, But I think this one is a good one to own for the long term. Stock was just shy of 37. They were buying the June 37 calls aggressively today. Some 8,000 of those, that's 800,000 share equivalent. I like buying that at the money call, letting it run a little bit, Scott, and then selling an upside call against it. Uh, That way I'm capturing hopefully the movement in the underlying without the same risk of owning the stock. Uh, Great performance this year. uh, And I think that great performance builds on itself into the next quarter. Second trade is based on uh, Americans uh, driving more now. And some of that is because of reopening, of course. And some of it is because, you know, they haven't gone back. We haven't gone back onto public transportation nearly as much. People feel safer in their cars. That's putting more demand on gasoline. Valero, largest refiner out there, VLO, they're buying 10,000 of the June 80 calls. So both these trades are in June, so plenty of time. June 80s, but the stock mm-hmm. was only 71.44 this morning. That's a lot of upside, Scott. So I'll buy something a little lower and sell that higher strike. But I love that they're projecting great things into the 4th of July, which is normally when we see driving peak in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, well, given the amount of traffic that's back on the road already in this area and probably in the big city where you live, John, I can only imagine what it's going to be like Mm -hmm. this summer as we really get out and about. You're already getting a flavor of that. So it's a very interesting trade that you bring us. Thank you for that. We'll do Ask Halftime next. You can send your questions by video. We'll put them on the air. We look forward to that. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. We're back right after this. All right, let's do it. Let's answer some of your questions. First up, Shannon, for you, it is from Jane in Greenville, South Carolina. What about Bumble? Is it still a good stock to own? Yes. And if you look at what Whitney Wolfhard is trying to do, she is trying to create not a social media platform, not another way to get a date, but she's trying to create a brand to which people are going to have an affinity. And I think that this is an important piece is that over the next couple of quarters, there could be some pressure on this stock because it's a long duration tech stock. But think about where this is going, because I think Bumble is going to mean a lot more than dating five to 10 years from now. All right. Steve Weiss to you now from Panama. Jack says, hey, Judge, 
Please ask Weiss if he's sticking with altimeter growth or not. Now that Gerstner, Brad Gerstner, has announced the deal for Grab, I followed him in, and now I need to know if he approves of the proposed merger. What do you tell Panama Jack, Steve Weiss? I'm telling Panama Jack you got to stick with it. Brad Gerstner is proven to be one of the top investors of our generation. Look at the performance of his hedge fund, which I have. He's, he's a critical part of the Valley, and I think he's got it. Plus, he's tied in for three years, has his own capital in there. So, yes, I'm sticking with him. Yeah, it's Panama Zach, too. I, call, I said Panama Jack. I think you can understand why I might have screwed that up. It's Panama Zach. My, my apologies, Zach, uh, for that. All right, Judge, Jason, you told Brian me to be in Boston. Brief. What are your th- you told me to be brief. I- Sorry, I I was just going to say, you told me to be brief. I just don't have enough time in the show to correct you all the time. All right. I figured you were going to correct me, so thank you for not doing that on on live TV. That's why I did it myself. All right, Jason, Brian in Boston, your thoughts on the healthcare sector? Yep. So obviously the healthcare sector hasn't participated like some of the other sectors. But going forward with the economy reopening, I like preventative care. I like elective surgeries. Some of my favorite names here are UNH and Medtronic. So I think it's a I think it's a buy here for us. All right, Dr. J, Christine in Carlsbad, California, wants to know about uh, plug power. Uh, Says she bought it at 43. So what do you do now at 25? Should she sell and cut the losses? What do you think? That's a good question. That is a great question. Um, I am a green energy guide judge. Uh, so uh, whether it's Carlsbad, California or Chicago, this is going to be a focus area, especially with the new infrastructure bills coming through. Um, I think you hold on to it at 25. I think plug goes a lot higher. Uh, I'm all about lithium and hydrogen power as well. And I think plug does a great job. So, yes, I would hold it. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you for all the questions as well. We'll do final trades next. All right, let's do final trades. Shannon, you are up first. Union Pacific. uh, This is clearly benefiting from the uptick in rail and freight, but this is a very well-run company that could continue to thrive over the next several years, way past the point where this infrastructure package gets announced. All right, Jason Snipe, good to have you with us today. What's your final trade for us? Got it, BlackRock. Uh, 171 billion in, in incoming net flows, 9 trillion in AUM will continue to benefit from all the liquidity in the marketplace. All right, Doc. Uh, Zenga, Scott. Uh, Zenga, uh, June 13 calls, I believe they were aggressively buying those. Uh, I love the game, and I think this one's one to own. All right, give me a name, Weiss. Porsche. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.